Hello, welcome to episode 39 of Scuttlebutt, a Marine Corps Association podcast. Today, Vic sits down with Aaron Sullivan, who spent eight years in the Marine Corps and then converted his experience he gained into successful business ventures left, right, and center. And this kind of continues an unofficial series we've been running here where Vic's been talking to entrepreneurs out in California. So if you've been tuning in, hopefully you've been inspired to go out and start your own business or get involved or invest or do something, but make it happen. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, hey everyone. This is uh, Vic, and I—I um, I know I say this every time, but it, it, I only say it because it's true. I am truly honored and, and kind of geeking out a little bit here. I'm here with uh, former Marine Aaron Sullivan. Uh, you've got a truly fascinating story, uh, and I definitely want to dive into it. But just to sort of hit some of the wave tops, former Marine. Am tracker, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Um, we have that in common. We have that in common. <laughs> I mean, our ships like passed in the night on multiple occasions. That's true. Uh, which we'll delve into. Um, you were AVTV. Mm-hmm. Got a taste for the amphibious vehicle test branch and sort of the business side of the military. Yep. Then you went into a startup. Mm-hmm. Then you went into another startup, and now you're currently in another startup. That's I mean, right. Yeah. So I think a per- definitely a prevailing theme here is going to be transition. Mm. But it's, I mean, almost every aspect of your life has been transformative, and so I, I really, I'm so honored, and thank you so much for inviting me to be here in your home and and to sit down and talk to you, man. So Aaron. Welcome, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, this is so great. This is so great. And so, um, yeah, so let's just, let's just dive in. Sure. Um, so you are in Arizona. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up there, you're yeah. a young man in Arizona and the bugle calls. Is that how, the, how, how was your, what was your path to the yellow footprints? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Arizona and I, it was interesting, I, I don't, I don't even recall exactly why, but when I was in high school, I want, I, I had aspirations to join the Marine Corps. And I remember talking to a recruiter a couple times and he's, and I was like, well, I want to do college first. How does that work? And he's like, yeah, just do it after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. I've never heard of a recruiter. Say <laughs> yeah. 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 He's like, I need to hit my quarterly numbers. Um, no. So, so I kind of, I abandoned at that point and wanted to go to college. And, uh, this is, a this is a long story, but. I, I basically I had a friend who uh, you know in the early days we we play Call of Duty now, but way back when it was uh, Ghost Recon. Ghost Recon, like, I remember Ghost Recon. You, you do yeah, you? Okay. Yeah, totally. Well, so funny story. I was uh, I played competitively and it was like legit. Way. I legit was number one in the world. Um, Get out of here! <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. how is that not in my research? I, well, it's not something you advertise on LinkedIn, right? The only time. That I was number one in Ghost Recon. Uh, it was when Ghost Recon Las Vegas came out. Oh. And me and my buddy got like probably more beer than our livers wanted yeah, us to yeah, get. Yeah, and yeah. then we just spent like a 72 playing Ghost Recon, Ghost Recon Las Vegas. Yeah, not, <laughs> that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Um, well, so I was on this team and I had a buddy who uh, who was, you know, 19 and he's like oh you should apply to this school in missouri and i'm like why would i go to the school in missouri but i i applied nonetheless and um they they didn't have any students from arizona 
And I think so all, all of their marketing material, they could say, well, we have students from 17 states instead of 16. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they give me a much more generous scholarship than my grades sort of warranted, yeah. Yeah. right? Because I spent all my time playing Ghost Recon. Um, and, uh, but anyhow, I, I, get into the, I get into college, um, study abroad in Europe, um, grew to really appreciate what America sort of afforded us an opportunity. And kind of that, that desire to serve came back to my life. So I believe I was a, I think it was a sophomore. No, I was a junior in, junior in college, went to OCS uh, between my junior and senior year. Yeah, see, right? yeah between leaders college? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we go, I, I go to that. It's 10 weeks, make it through, go back to school for a year. Yep. And then eventually got commissioned. I, I was intending to be a lawyer, but, you know, just, uh, and we could talk a little bit more about that, but, but, but yeah, ultimately ended up joining the officer corps. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so then obviously you're spending time in Virginia. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And then selection comes up and is it, you just. Amtrak's was the thing because there's oh, very few slots, man, at a TBS. There was there was two slots. There was two slots. Um, so I remember there was a number of a number of cats that wanted to get Amtrak's, and uh, but I actually had I had Amtrak's number one and infantry number two. Yeah, and I remember the cadre appreciating the fact that infantry was really high because. A number of people were like, "I'll do Amtrak's, but infantry is down." And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they're like, "But they're like, they're they're to- joined at the hip." And so I remember, I, I I think I was I was ranked. The funny story, I was ranked pretty high because I was really good at the field exercises. Yeah, I think because I had logged like twenty thousand hours at Ghost Recon. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, hey, which is a two, a huge shout out for war gaming. It is life. true. Yeah. It is true. I remember being like, "Dude, the people in real life." Do the same thing in the video game. We just run out of breath, you know? Yeah, it gets a lot very, this stuff is a lot heavier. Yeah, this stuff is a lot heavier and I'm a lot slower. But uh, no, I was ranked pretty high, but still there was a few people that wanted it in front of me, but they were like, no, like if if you're not willing to go to the front line, then I don't want to give you a front line sort of um, MOS. And so I ended up uh, I ended up getting um, Amtrak's. Funny enough, the other guy in my class that got Amtrak's was Michael McGuire, who works with me in my current startup now. No way. Yeah, true story. Um, so, uh, so anyhow, yeah, I got, um, I got, uh, I got tracks. He as well. Uh, since I was ahead of him, I got the West Coast. And he yeah. got the East Coast, as you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. nothing against that. No, not at all. Courthouse Bay is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Camp it's Pendleton. not. It's not Camp Pendleton. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's really so. Very similarly, I was infantry like okay all the way through, and okay. then. Um, Colonel Mullins, not Colonel Mullins, but uh, uh, then Captain Mullins mm-hmm. gave us this um, brief on what Amtrackers, you know, what, what the AAV community was. And they showed this video of the Amtrak and AVTV trying to write it, you know, trying to roll oh, it right. continuously writing itself. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, I can surf in the Marine Corps. Like, right, right. Is, uh, um, so, so when I switched it, same sort of thing was yeah. that, but I wasn't ranked. Uh, I mean, equality <laughs> thirds being what they were, it's good to be the top of the bottom. Yeah, yeah, for sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I remember my SBC saying, like, you're not going to go grunts. <laughs> he was a grunt. Right? Yeah, right, right. Like, but I will let you go Amtrak. That's that funny. good to me. You are good in the field. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's so cool. So then you end up at Camp Pendleton. Yep. Uh, your first company is... 
Uh, I got I got um, put with uh, Jason Philos and Charlie Company. Yeah, at, at Third Tracks. Yeah, which was just about six months prior was Vic Rubel's which, which is yes yes he went and did amazing things you can read all about it and that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's that's uh, the book is in, in process the know? book's yeah, in writing okay right now. it's yeah. in the editing process now but yeah so it's so cool so you're a Charlie Company guy I'm a Charlie Company guy yeah and uh all right so then you do your thing you end up then at ABTV yeah so let's see I I was uh at third track, spent some time with Charlie Company. Um, spent some time, you know, like you don't really, you don't get your double stripes until you spent some time in H and S Company. Yeah, right? so <laughs> did my time in H and S Company. Went out with the Fifteenth Mew uh, with Third uh, uh, Battalion First Marines. Um, came back, actually got uh, so funny. I was actually going to go be uh, the captain um, at the Silent Drill team, and they. They had just come out with this education, uh, what, like exchange program with uh, the other branches of of the service. Interesting. And uh, so I actually was one of eleven Marines that got sent to Fort Benning, Georgia, to go to maneuver captain's career course. Dude, with all of which, the army captains. And I went to advance armor when it was at Knox. Oh, so it's same rolled up. Yes. In, yeah. So, so this is cool, the same yeah. program. Yeah, they they yeah. ended up calling it MCC. Yeah. Um, but it was so funny because it was such a high directive. It superseded all previous orders for those 11 Marines. So I ended up there, which actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because that was only six months long. I would have been in D.C. for years. Um, and AVTB, the, uh, it's kind of the opso, but they call him the test management officer. Mm. Um, that billet opened up at AVTB um, under, at the time, Lieutenant Colonel Bailey and, funny enough, Major Philos, oh, now yeah, Major yeah. Philos. And so went out there and got exposed to the business side of the armed forces. And that was foundational for you then to see a different more than just like tactics and hammerhead lefts and rights. For now sure. You're looking at acquisitions. Yeah. Acquisitions yeah. Before. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, when I was in college, I studied political science. I mean, like, what do you do with political science? You join the Marine Corps is what you do. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> the, the, cheap, the, the cheap man's history. Exactly. And, uh, and I wasn't interested in business at all. For some reason, I had this, this image of business being boring. And uh, I'm like, oh, business is war. Like, it's, you know, when you get into it, it's super interesting. Um, just feel that, that the role of, of money, money earning and commerce plays in life in every facet. So I get to AVTV and I get exposed to this, the, the business side of the house. I had more civilian engineers that reported to me than Marines. And so we're dealing with these large scale contracts with sort of the military industry. And I just found it absolutely fascinating and sort of fell in love with business at AVTV. I got my MBA there, um, PMP, and just really started to appreciate uh, what the role of money and commerce played, not just in, in in the public sphere with like military, but just in general. Yeah. yeah. And so for those uh, listeners who aren't aware, so we're talking about ABTVs, the amphibious vehicle test branch. And so when, especially a new system such as the amphibious combat vehicle yep. is coming online, you've got prototypes and we've got, you know, fielding and you've got to do all of these different things. So we spoke with Colonel Howe, who is the program manager for Advanced Amphibious Assault. And so when they have a programmer record and it goes to the prototype and everything on paper looks good, Makatea gets their chance the Marine Corps Operational Testing Branch gets a go at it. Right. You guys then are how how does how does the amphibious vehicle test branch 
play into this acquisition cycle? Well, we play at a number of different stages in the acquisition. So actually for the ACV, funny enough, now that I think back, we actually, there was a point where it was, I don't remember who won the contract, but at the time, Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, BAE, BAE yeah. and another one. Uh, SAIC. SAIC. Yeah. They ran, we ran a, a competition across all four prototypes to see who we select. Well, I was the test management officer when we ran that prototype testing across all four and eventually cool. led to the selection of two to head off. And then eventually- yeah, I think uh, when we down-selected, it was yep. SASC and BAE. That sounds right. Yeah. So they down-selected after I had left, but I was Which there. It's so weird because we didn't, in all of our pre-show stuff, we didn't. I was the requirements guy. Were you really? For the AC. No kidding. Yes. I, I, okay. I, I remember we, reading them. I remember we down-selected to those two uh-huh. platforms. Yeah. In SAIC, it actually had the uh, AAV survivability upgrade. Oh, yes, so yes, yes. It was definitely, yeah, I mean, uh, and so the, SAIC was also playing in the ACV game too. So Yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Well, and it was funny too, because I was I, I remember running tests on the final EFB test before the program was, oh, was totally sunset. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but uh, anyhow, yeah, so, so that's an example of the Defense Department is helping to drive requirements and is really trying to hedge some of their risk on picking the wrong, you know, contractor to develop this new warfare system. So we're there at that stage. At the same time, we also had things like, uh, I think it's called the MLP Marine Landing Platform. It's like a kind of a semi-ship to shore, large platform deck. Um, It's not going to take you across the ocean, but it can move large pieces of gear. Right. Well, they needed to validate that um, AEVs could launch off of these things. They've never launched off before. So I was the first vehicle off one of those in a test to expand the scope of capabilities of an existing uh, of an existing system. And then typically for acceptance testing, if that thing is going to be deployed to the fleet uh, and it, it happens to go ship to shore or shore to ship, that also needs to go through a test branch like AVTV. So we focused on, yeah. on those. So it could be in the, the beginning in the prototype, uh, sort of uh, uh, prototype selection, all the way to expanding the requirements and capabilities of a particular uh, platform that's in service or acceptance testing at the end of the acquisition lifecycle before deployment to the fleet. Yeah, dude. So it's all so cool. Yeah, because we've, I mean, it's so great to get this perspective because, like I said, we've talked about like the acquisitions, like the pen to paper sort of processes and talked the, the operational testing. But now here's another agency. And just to give our listeners just this peace of mind, like, when a piece of gear hits the fleet, man, it has been through the ring. It has indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes so long, it's irrelevant by the time it gets there. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah. So a you get it. So now you're you're cutting your teeth. You you've gotten a business degree. You're seeing the business side of it, and so I'm I'm getting the feeling based off of knowing your entire body of work that the seedbed has been planted now, and you've got sort of a taste for this sort of business, almost like a business startup. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and AVT was interesting because we we were in the, one of the few profit drivers of the entire U.S. Yeah, government yeah. other than the IRS. Because if you want to, if you have out of speculation um, as, a, as a contractor, a military industry, you want to develop something, you can't just go test that anywhere. You have to go test it in a secure facility, especially if it's um, something that you'd consider uh, classified or top secret. And so we got to we got to actually drive revenue for the U.S. government in many cases where we're getting paid by private industry to use our facility. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we would advertise that to contractors. Hey, come here and test this thing out. We will help set up a test yeah. for you. Anyways, I found it really, I found it really interesting. Um, in 2000 and uh, 2013, um, I had been 2014. I'd been ABTB for two years, and uh, partly for family reasons, felt like I it was probably time to depart from the Marine Corps. Um, not for any lack of love for the Marines, uh, just for my own family, felt like moving again was not going to be conducive right. um, uh, to thriving with the family, and so. Um, I selected to leave after my two-year obligation at ABT. I was a captain at this point. And uh, when I was looking to leave, I, I was looking at Intuit. They make QuickBooks and some other software. And I was talking to them about being um, a program manager for one of their, their software suites. And uh, looking at software, and I guess the entrepreneurial bug kind of had bit me. And so as I was exiting the Marine Corps, I decided to start my first company. So before we get into that, man, I got to just ask you. How many times in your life have you been told that you're crazy? Uh, yeah, I was told. I, I've, I've heard from a couple battalion commanders, like, you're not my average Marine officer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, not yeah. like I was, like, better or anything. Just, yeah. like, I just kind of did things different. <laughs> yeah. So when, when we think about outside-the-box thinking, right? I think Aaron Sullivan is, like, Right. Is is on the forefront of everybody's mind here. Yeah. When we um, actually you can uh, uh, 120 millimeter mortar system. Mm -hmm. um, you can take them on tracks now for if vertical lift isn't available, you can bring them. That was that was uh, that was 15th Mew. I was like, I can put those in the tracks. And AVTV eventually validated that. And uh, we were the first we were the first Mew to use 120s on tracks. Yeah. Um, and it's just but it's that idea of like, why can't we? Yeah. You know? And so, why can't we? That is a good, uh, I think, entryway into TradeDiv. Mm -hmm. And so, let's talk about why can't we and the impetus behind. Well, this is what, what, what was TradeDiv? Let's just talk. So, your life, I just, let's just talk. You get out of the Marine Corps and then TradeDiv. Yeah, a, yeah. Is there, a, is there an intermediary period? No. Or is it right in? No, it was, it was actually a little... Um, it was a little hairy. So if you recall, back in 2014, actually, it was probably 2012, Colorado and Washington State were the first states to legalize recreational marijuana. Yeah, and people's hair quite literally went on fire. Yeah, people were like, they were nervous about this. Those laws took effect in 2014. And it's interesting how quickly this became normal. 75% of the states are now like medical or recreational uses sure. legal. And probably by, by 2024, it's going to be all states. But that did not look the same way in 2012 no, through 2014. It was, it was pretty taboo at that point still. At the time, in the Marines even, I, I just saw, I was like, oh, there's probably a huge industry here. There's a huge opportunity. And I decided to basically start a company in that emerging space. We went from having something that was illegal to now a pharmaceutically regulated drug and a huge opportunity uh, to basically become the distribution backbone for something that um, was treated like wine by the like sort of the consumer, but was regulated like a pharmaceutical. And so Trative was a business to business e-commerce platform that made that sort of treated the the product like you would experience on Amazon or something like that for these 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 distribution or retail storefronts 
but on the backside of the platform, did all the things that would keep business owners out of jail by working with the state agencies, by tracking and tracing, by doing all these other sort of facets of the distribution of a pharmaceutical drug. And uh, I remember having the idea while I was in the Marines and sort of working on it quietly and really remembering that, you know, my eight years, um, including IRR, was up in August of 2016. And I made sure I was like, we can't transact anything until September of 2016. <laughs> I'm like, or 2015, excuse me, because I'm just like, I'm whether it's legal in Colorado or Washington, it's not legal to the U.S. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. You're still punishable yeah. under the UCMA. Absolutely. That is no, that's no yeah. So we really didn't, you know, other than intent, <laughs> there yeah, was yeah. never any... Yeah. And so you guys ended up, I mean, you guys were called the Amazon of the legal marijuana distribution industry, and you were even fe featured in Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30. Yeah, they, they, uh, we were, blew up. we blew up and it was very, we were, look, we were at the very beginning. I mean, we saw the writing on the wall. I mean, there's probably interviews where we talked about what would happen and what we said would happen has happened. It's, it's swept, it swept the country. Uh, recreational medicals opened up. I mean, look, governments want taxes. People want freedom. And so... Well, I mean, at one point, Colorado had so much excess revenue from this stuff. That right. They were in a surplus of funds. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, that was only within a couple of years of it going legal. Right? That's that's right. And and so we were at the very beginning. I mean, we were really... We were the... We were really the first digital distribution platform for that industry... And so we grew very fast. And Inc. Magazine, Incorporated Magazine, it's like Forbes for millennials. Right. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they really, and I remember talking to the CEO of, of Inc. And, and she said, yeah, we debated back, on, back and forth as to whether or not we would feature a company in this industry. But it seems to be going that way. And we think what you're doing is really um, at the forefront of thinking. And so we raised $5 million within a year. It was very, very fast growing company. Because even though it was legalized... The process was still very much in that illicit space, right? It, it was what I it used. It was dangerous even though it was legal, right? We had a couple deals where we were moving a couple hundred pounds and being like, oh, this is still sketchy like it shouldn't be, right? Right. Um, so we called it kind of the gray market. You know, it was a white market in the sense that it was fully transparent, but it didn't behave that way. It right. behaved like the black market. And a lot of the players were still coming from and, and sort of immigrating from the black market into this newly legalized space. Um, but it was still super sketchy. Yeah. 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 I don't think it so much as now, right. um, you know, cause it's been, it's been 10 years since it was legalized. Uh, but back then, and like it, you said, I mean, almost, I mean, the States that haven't legalized are in the minority. That's right. They are. Yeah. I mean, they are. Even DC. Yeah. It's no, they really, yeah. It's, it's almost all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So you're at the forefront of that and things are, Apparently, they're going swimmingly. That's what it looked like, yeah. Um, and then you went through another massive transition in your life. You want to? Can we talk? To yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah. So it was. Um, I'd been, you know, I left the Marines in 2015 formally, started this company, and really been running it for a year. Now, of course, the idea had been in sort of percolation mode for for be honest, but we'd been officially running for a year, and. Uh, I had what I can only describe as a radical encounter with Jesus. Um, 
I was with my wife and we'd gone on this trip and I had this crazy experience. You guys were engaged at the time. Yeah, 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 we were engaged. Yeah, you're right. That's right. We were engaged at the time. We're in Alaska and uh, I had this crazy encounter. And Actually, you, you mind rewinding? I'm sorry. But why Alaska? I was born in Alaska. Okay, I was born in Alaska. I hadn't been back since I was two. And uh, I was exhausted from fundraising and from, you know, this company. Because you are the face of trading. I was the CEO and the founder. Yeah, yeah I was the face. And and so I was I was exhausted. And, and I think my wife was exhausted for me um, slash with me because I'm not home. Uh, my, my, excuse me, my fiance. So we go to Alaska to kind of just like, hey, no Wi-Fi connection, no cell. Like, let's just decompress for a week. You know, it's like one of the few places in America you can go right now. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, hey, there is no cell connection. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, and so, yeah, we have this, this this radical encounter. We can talk more about that if you think it's relevant. But um, uh, basically, over the course of several months, um, culminating, no kidding, on July 4th of 2016, July 4th, yeah. I uh, sort of give my life. Uh, to Christ. And um, I go to Israel a week later and do like a week long pilgrimage to kind of figure things out all on my own, swim by myself. And I came back and told my much of their, you know, disappointment, told my co-founders and my board that I really couldn't be behind what we were doing anymore. And at the time, like I I have opinions now about marijuana and, and drugs in general, but at the time I wasn't trying to place some like big value judgment on marijuana but like look like we had a fiduciary duty to sell as much marijuana as possible to as many people as possible <laughs> right like that's our business and, and i'm like i just don't think that's what god has for me yeah. you know that's just not isn't that the like mission statement of the wire in the movie <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like their tagline that's right? their tagline <laughs> absolutely and so i just you know i'm like ah, this can't this is not the most beneficial thing i can do for right. humanity and so um, I, I gave all of my stock back I said, hey, look, like, I'm not running the company you invested in me to run. So here's my stock. And I was really secretly hoping that it would take some of the sting out of me leaving. Well, all your stock's worth 30% more than it was. Don't sue me. <laughs> and I mean, and I guess to put it in layman's terms, I mean, this is LeBron James leaving the Cavs the first time. I mean, the first time. you know. I imagine that was a bigger deal than what I was doing, but not for your investors. Not for my investors. Yeah. 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 But I'm tickled you even use that comparison. Um, if, if, if this were a video thing, I'd have you do the, the baby powder. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, um, no, yeah. but I mean, this is a huge deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. It, and it, it rocked kind of the cannabis world at the time. Uh, it wasn't that big of a world, but you know, this was, uh, yeah, this was, there's not a soul in that industry at that time that doesn't know this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for our listeners, Google it. Um, yes, for sure. Just don't believe everything you read. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Take it along with a grain of salt, as we say, like validate your sources. And so, and so now you're, you've gone from, I mean, um, what I'm only guessing is seven figures ish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to now. What? I, well, Professionally, I started driving Lyft. <laughs> okay, that's a profession for sure. Yeah, you know it yeah. is. Yeah, it was. Uh, man, it, got to get got us another see a uh, get to see another aspect of the human experience. I did indeed. I did indeed. <laughs> um, it, it was really really humbling. Actually, it was a great experience. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I, I love this story. To be quite honest with you, I mean, obviously, as you're in the trenches, it's probably not so sure. Sure. Awesome, but for our listeners, I mean, this is. This is transition one on one, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you are boldly making decisions mm-hmm. based off of 
your value system mm-hmm. and you're using sort of the foundations of your life and the foundations of the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. It, so this has to be extremely scary, right? I mean, let's talk a little. I know it's a very short period. Yeah, yeah. We talk a little bit about I that. think, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the Marines... It, I, I think for for those that are transitioning, those that have transitioned, I would I would expect to agree with me. But um, I I can't speak for the whole armed forces, but just speaking for the Marine Corps, it's one of those double edged swords where some of what you've learned, how you behave, how you think, um, is incredibly beneficial and valuable, and there's others that rub a little bit. There's there's a friction between how sort of softer gentler companies might operate mm, nice. um, okay i think when i when i had started trative coming out of the marines i ran it the way you might expect a captain coming out of the marine corps to run it yeah you're the opso man yeah. for sure very decisive very quick in our decision making um you know commit to a course of action until the intelligence tells us that's the wrong course of action and then pivot on a dime mm-hmm. you know and um rough cursing gritty gritty working too hard yeah drinking you mission, know like mission mission it, totally like just like that was that was like if that's your mission it's mission accomplishment that's the goal and and you're like well look missions missions will there's a point there's a start to a mission and an end to a mission and then you you need to rest in in a business there there is no end of the mission so to speak right you just keep going and so i really did like wore myself pretty ragged in that company um, although we accomplished a lot in a very, very short period of time. I mean, the level and speed. You can't feed that beast. No. It, well, it'll consume you. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, we did, yeah. I mean, we executed with excellence at a very high speed and pace, and which I, I still hold on to now, but there has to be a patient, a tactical patience sort of that you account for. But when I left, when I walked away from Trative, I started reading the Bible for the first time. And was thoroughly confused by the pages of that book. Weird. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you know the Bible, you're like, yeah, it is weird uh, and confusing. And so um, in any case, I found these videos online that helped explain different books in the Bible and different aspects called the Bible Project. And I was, I was just, I was sold, right? It was immersive, just like, oh my gosh, Leviticus all of a sudden makes sense. Like how that book could make sense, right? And uh, I legit just guessed at the email of the founder and sent him an email and it was basically like hey i'm a former marijuana entrepreneur so you stop reading if you want to but <laughs> yeah let's just say like, <laughs> yeah yeah don't close this out yet yeah, yeah yeah here's some things i can do i remember like a bullet list of like here's five things i can do and uh if you need that like i just feel like the lord's leading me to email you and uh i felt like an idiot because like within a couple of days i didn't hear anything and three weeks later john collins of the bible project emails me back he's like come up to portland let's talk and, you know, fast forward, they gave me, they gave me a job. They really, they made, I was their first business hire, right? They had all animators, illustrators making these videos. I was their first business hire, really hired to help them sort of go to market. How do we take this thing, this idea and like make a business? Yeah. And um, it was at Bible Project where I really, because I wasn't setting the culture, I was inserting myself into a culture. That was the first time I encountered a lot of resistance to how I habitually operated much of which was trained and encouraged in in the marine corps sure yeah so this is so fascinating so you go from i mean a seven-figure lifestyle driving lift and then you just through the power of christ and this sort of 
another sort of tech startup, I guess. Is that a yeah, it, 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 totally. No, it absolutely a was. Tech it was startup by it was a couple a, of Bible nerds. It was a nonprofit religious education yeah, startup. Yeah, I mean, 5013C. Yeah, it's a 5013C. That's a, but that's a tax ass on a business model. They were very much a startup. They wanted to grow. Yeah. And you just guessed based off of an email that you had received. You yeah. just guessed at an email and then you made it happen. I, I mean, we talked about this in the pre-show, man, and I, I think this is so great. I, I want to, our listeners to hear this, but I think there's a real lesson here. Um, and regardless of the avenue, there's... And, and so I guess to juxtapose right, right. it, so my path was, and I was as transformed by the Bible Project as you were. That's cool, yeah. Small world. Just, uh, unbelievably. Um, and... But my thought when I was leaving graduate school mm-hmm. was is that I have to wait for an opportunity to present itself. Right. And so I'm going to be on all these uh, subscription lists and email lists, and then there'll be a job opening. I'll look at all the job postings, and when I see one that fits me, I'll apply to that. And, of course, nothing came up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, on the other hand, decided I'm going to reach out and let – God and let the winds of what they are take hold of what they will. Mm-hmm. And I just want to tease this out and, and sure, sure. feel free to, to cut me off in this long-winded diatribe, but there's such a, I think there's such a lesson to be learned here that like sometimes, yes, there's a, the traditional model and that is successful in a lot of ways, but when you're passionate about something, you need to go get it. Yeah. And you need to make the case that you're the right guy vice waiting for the right thing to show up on your doorstep. Yeah, I think it's uh I mean, look, if we're if we are uh, if we're tying into Marine Corps leadership principles or character like characteristics, I think one of the one of the characteristics we judge for in the fit rep is initiative. Sure. Right? I think one of the leadership principles is know yourself and seek self-improvement. And so I think, you know. When you're, if you're, if you're on the battlefield, you're looking for opportunities to exploit. That means you need to know your capabilities. It mean, needs to mean you, you need to know your enemy and, and you need to know the environment of the battlefield that you're on. I think in, in, in work, like if you were to lean into the skills and the talents and the techniques that you have cultivated in your time in the Marines, um, those come first in mind. You need to be self-aware of what you're good at. What are you new? What are you uniquely gifted at? What is the thing that you do better than anybody else? It's not what you want to do better than anybody else. It's what you do do better than anyone else. And that's just, self, that's just self-awareness, right? right. And, and I really think that's what that, you know, know yourself, right? You need to know what you're good at. You need to know where your weaknesses are. And then you need to use initiative to go and seek out opportunities where you know you're a good fit. Because I, I truly believe that if, if, if you know what you're a good fit at, um, especially for our Marine officers uh, uh, graduating who have tangible leadership experience sort of under their belt, um, both managing budgets, equipment, and, and people. Like, you're a great asset to a lot of companies, you know? Our staff and CEOs, you're a great asset. And you have a lot of experience. Now, there's some cultural things that you're going to have to adjust to, but go seek out those opportunities and just simply present, like, this is what I'm really good at. Um, do you have a need there? And, you know, especially growing companies, they all have a shortage of good leadership. And, uh, and so, yeah, rather than waiting to compete with the 200 applications 
um, go find those opportunities before those jobs are ever posted. For sure. I mean, that's it's such a great lesson. And then obviously, I, I, I wish I wasn't <laughs> the counter, <laughs> counter example on this. But like, I really do feel like it, especially because so many startups are just full of ideas, guys. Mm, and they're yeah. just out of the, out of just passion and gumption. At least got it off the yeah. ground. But now that they're off the ground, what do we do? Executors. And they're looking for somebody to show them, like, what do we do next? Yeah. Like, yeah. we're off the ground. Oh, shit. Yeah. We're off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't crash now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a lot of them do. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, totally. Don't just, like know your worth and advertise absolutely right? yeah absolutely and and i think and and but also like you know it's a it's a humble posture here here's what i'm good at does here's what i'm good at does that line up with your needs and you're gonna get told no sometimes but i mean and, and i think it's a dual strategy right like you should be applying for jobs at the same time if you're looking for mm. something new but yeah, it look, doesn't mean just like shit on the resume yeah for right? sure for sure but look for those opportunities look for those areas where you have some passion and drive behind and I really think to hiring managers, like they'll see, they'll see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, and so you were looking at like, again, like your, your transition is so like compelling because you've got like, this isn't sort of like, all right, well, I was at ABTV and then I went into defense contracting and I was working for, you know, BA, one of the big guys. And then I was, yeah. you know, sort of, after SIC won the contract, I went to work for him. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're doing these like 180 shifts mm, all the yeah, time. And then, yeah. In some, one respect, it's got to be so exciting. In another, it's got to be so scary. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I think some of that has to do with, um, just your risk tolerance. Yeah. It's just, okay. you inherently have a certain level of risk tolerance. Sure, I actually think like most Marines are Marines because they have a fairly high tolerance for risk. Uh, at least on Libo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. Um, you know, well, we don't go to work drunk. I'm sure that, yeah, 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 yeah. well, maybe some people do, but, uh, that probably has something to do with our level of risk tolerance. On Libo. Yeah, sure. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, some of it comes down to risk tolerance, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I think I heard a wise person say once that your professional path is like a jungle gym. And, uh, it's not like when you're on the slide is, is that inherently different from when you're climbing the ladder or sliding down the, the rope? Um, it's a jungle gym and it's okay to move around and to play and to figure out what you're good at. And, and truth be told, I think it, perhaps if you're in something very technical, like coding, you know, whether you code in like JavaScript or Python, um, maybe there, you know, it might be a little bit less malleable what it is you do, but where you do it is super malleable mm -hmm. in leadership, especially these, these leadership positions where, um, you're taking a directorship or a VP level or even a C level, uh, depending on, on, on how much time you've spent in, in your career. Business is business. Decision-making is decision-making. Judgment is judgment. Right. And so moving from, you know, cannabis to nonprofit education out of finance where I'm at now, it's not that fundamentally different once you understand the technical differences, right. but the technical difference is just knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's not experience. It's just knowledge, you know? And, uh, and so I think, you know, sometimes maybe we shortchange ourselves as to how much flexibility we have in our path before us than, than maybe we think we do. Dude, that's so profound. Yeah. I mean, there is a really, there's a scaffolding. Mm. 
for for leaders of the military, but admitted bias here. I mean, especially Marine leaders, where we are given so much responsibility at such a young level. <laughs> Almost an irresponsible amount of responsibility <laughs> at the age of Dangerous 22. Amount. I'm like, you are going to give me how many people in my vehicles? Yeah. yeah. And you're going to send me where? Yeah, right. And you, all I have to do is like call you once a day? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, I, but I, I think that's, that, that scaffolding or that foundation is so, I mean, it's irreplaceable. It is. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, University of Penn, whatever the business school is, yeah. isn't going to give you that level. Of no, no, no. World no, no. I, I will, like, we've talked about this. Um, we have, I'm trying to think, at our company now, we've probably got, I would say 15% are veterans and we have talked about hiring and I'll, I'll tell you, we plan on hiring veterans probably disproportionate to what you would just call the control or the average mm -hmm. because we know how much the U.S. government has given us for free in the education and training of those people. Yeah. I mean, the amount of experience that a 28-year-old leader coming out of the Marines is likely it, it is more than what a 38 year old leader unless they were in the top one percent of the performers it's it's more than a than somebody twice their age right. with twice as much time and experience has under their belt and so now imagine how uh how far you can take them from that age when that's the foundation you're building sure, it's yeah. huge it's yeah. it's a, it, like you can't you can't argue with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like having a, I mean, it's a staff of like Fernando Tatis's on your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's right. I got nothing but like this amazing clay mm -hmm. to just shape. For and sure. Mold. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. So like, I, so going back to like this, these like really radical transformations and just the, I guess the savvy at which you're, so you come to the Bible probably, you, yep. you, you send, you recon by fire via email, <laughs> you get hold of one of the co-founders of the Bible project, yeah. intrigued, he brings you on board. It's one thing I think in some respects to say, I am going to dedicate my life to Christ. And it's another thing to say that and then working for this, 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 I mean, for lack of a better term, Bible startup. Yeah. Bible art startup. Yeah. And to bring it from a niche audience of a few thousand people a month to what ended up, I think, as you left there, it reached hundreds of million people. Yeah. Over dozens of mediums. Yeah. Over a myriad of countries. Yeah. In 20 something languages. Dude. What? <laughs> That's the only question I have for you is what? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, that was what? Five years? Five years. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, super successful ministry. I, you know, like a good Christian would say, and it's not lip service, like nothing is successful without the Lord's blessing. Like God determines what is going to bear fruit and what's not. I just happen to be, but it's, but it is interesting that he prepared me beforehand through my experiences, including the Marine Corps, and used me as one of the instruments in order to do that, um, along with, with Tim and John and a great staff. And uh, this is John Collins. John Tim Collins Mackey. and Tim Mackey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the founders of Bible Project. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, I mean, we use a, we, we uh, I, I should say they now, at the time we, 
um, user crowdfunding model. So yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, yeah, how yeah. is that different than say trade does? Yeah, so you know, trade was a typical B2B company. We do a service, you pay us an invoice. Um, crowdfunding kind of emerged in the mid 2000s So there's a company called Patreon where you can become a patron of an independent music artist or an independent creator of some sort, Kickstarter famously. Oh, I've got this new product I want to launch. If you pre-fund it, you'll get a discount and I'll send you the first version. So, you know, really the internet became, made it possible now for you to participate in the funding of projects and products that you love. There's no gatekeeper. And there's no gatekeeper. Right. It's, a, it's a platform. They're going through a Ticketmaster right. or whatever, or iTunes or anything like that. That's right. That's right. It's direct to the creator. And so Bible Project sort of embraced this. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it grew from, we'll just say tens of thousands to millions, tens of millions um, in a course of five years where there are tens of thousands of people donating anywhere between 10 and 100 bucks a month to see more content created. And that was really the model that we sort of perfected while we were there. And it's really cool to see. I mean, you know, the Bible is an inherently confusing book, but whether you believe in the book or not, it, it exerts influence on your life. Mm -hmm. You know, like politicians who believe in it, neighbors who believe in it, families who believe in it, it exerts influence on your life. Whether you like it or not, it's the most influential book in human history. There's a billion adherents to the religion that use that book as the foundation of that religion. It exerts influence on your life. And I think um, that that means that it can be used to exert uh, positive and negative influence. It can be manipulated. And Bible Project is really keen on helping people understand what the book means in its original context so that you're, it's less manipulatable. Like you can't you can't use it in a way that doesn't that that betrays the sort of the true message of the book. And so, whether you're a believer or not, I think Bible Project is super valuable. There's no agenda. Right? There's no agenda. They're just yeah. trying to help you understand the book. Right, right. And, and it's not like they're going to give you all these videos and at the end of the day, like vote this way. Or no, like, no. Uh, in fact, they would like. I think they would. They would shriek away from something sure. like that. It, they're in fact, John and Tim have always refused to put music in their videos. Because music can manipulate emotions, no and they don't—they don't want the message to be—they uh, don't want your emotions to be manipulated in any way that the message of the video or the book um, would somehow mean something different because they played with you. And I was like, that's just that shows their yeah, heart, you yeah. know. It's super cool, yeah. Well, and I don't—I don't necessarily want to take this down a theological route per se, but I do want to take it down a redemptive way or like a transitional way and so we've got just for our listeners who aren't aware of what the bible project is we've got dr tim Mackey who came to christ via a skateboard ministry in portland <laughs> yeah, that's right we've got john collins who had although he went to seminary he was ended up being a big time marketing guy and then other things yeah yeah, yeah. robin hoodish sort yeah. of endeavors yeah yeah and now we have former 30 under 30 weed Bezos guy. Yeah. <laughs> sort of yeah. Former the, Marine. Yeah. yeah. Former Marine. Yeah. This motley crew. Yeah. We called ourselves Scrappy. To, <laughs> to say the least. I think that's a great word, man. I yeah. mean, so you guys come together for this. And I mean, you, and, and even with everything that you had going on, like when you go to the website, there's still like, Blog posts that still have your name on there. I mean, you're 
you're doing so. I mean, your 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 official title is director of. I wore a number of different titles there, but I I built their marketing technology and product teams um, before somebody else took over. So um, I kind of really just helped lead growth, yeah. you know. And sometimes that meant really tactical execution stuff, yeah, and also five year outlook strategy stuff. But you know, this was where this is actually because I was studying the culture at Trative, I didn't encounter any opposition. When I came to Bible Project, I mean, look, this is a Christian ministry. These guys are like Bible nerds. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they like have pastored churches. And here's Aaron. I was like a 50 caliber machine gun. (laughs) You know, just stuck on auto. Dude, stuck on auto. I'm like, I'm like, we're gonna crush it. You know, like, like we're gonna go hard. And I'm like, we're gonna capture territory, you know, for the kingdom in like a way that you've never seen. And it's just like because just lock the FPF, man. I'm going for, it. for sure. And it's one of those weird things where you just go, hey, your heart is in the right place. Like you have the right goal in mind, but the methods in which you do it matter. They matter. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your experience in the Marines were, but my experience with Marine officers, especially was like, we eat our own young, <laughs> you know, like. You mess up, you get destroyed. Not by the staff and CEOs, but by your captain. Right, like sure. you're your yeah. major. Like you're getting eaten alive. And when you were going to advocate for a particular COA, it was intellectual sparring. Yeah. You know, I don't care how what your feelings say. Like, yeah. It does. I don't. I don't care what you think about me. Yeah. I will destroy you. And and but at the same time, you're like, well, because lives depend on it. You know, and so does our pride and our ego, but that's another, that's another story. And I really took that into my work and, and, um, you know, you would sort of weaponize intellect. Maybe you were faster, a little sharper than anybody else in the room and you knew it. Um, but what that comes across as is now, especially, you know, if they know you well and they know that your heart's in the right place, you know, you have the right goal, then maybe your tactics are a little rough. If they don't know you, you come across, um, as arrogant. Sure. And you come across um, overbearing. overbearing, even though you might be right in that moment, it undermines your ability to lead. And so actually, Tim Mackey had a had one of the most transformational talks with me that I've ever had in my life um, and basically helped to illuminate this to me. And and I remember him talking to me and I felt like, oh, my gosh, I felt almost like emotionally out of control because I kind of feared that maybe I was experienced that way. But he was telling me I was experienced that way. And um, all those, those things might be valuable in the Marine Corps. They may not be the most valuable things to humanity. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they certainly made people feel small or hurt in the process of doing, getting the thing done. And what I've learned over, over the last five years is actually a newfound patience in how I work with people, a newfound humility in how I work with people, a gentleness and a softness. Although I might be candid and honest, there's a tact mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. in the Marine Corps, maybe our bar for tact was very, very, well, it, very it, low. It's, I think it's mentioned, but it's like in the like, yeah, script. For sure. Tact. Tact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we care about it's tact. Thing. It's which really means like, don't speak to your superior in a disparaging <laughs> way, but everybody else is free game. And, um, and, and so I'd like to think now that all of the initiative, all of the, the bias for action, um, clear judgment, clear decision-making, demanding clear lines of communication within organizations, I still have all that. But I, I'm also just more patient and more willing to sacrifice the most optimal path, 
the fastest way for the human honoring path. And I really learned that there. And that's where I think Marines coming out, especially of the Marines, like, yeah, you're going to you're going to meet some friction with culture. And I think some of that is actually good. And some of that's actually helpful. That's awesome. And I, and I think it's important for all of our listeners who are in a leadership position to understand that, dude, dignity matters. It does. Like, dignity is yeah. a big thing. And you can have all of those other things. Mm. But dignity has to take priority mm-hmm. over just about everything else or you're not going to get to that one thing that you need because everybody else is just going to check out. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if you're not treating everybody with a sense of dignity, yeah. then as soon as you fall, mm-hmm. everyone is going to watch you fall on that sword. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or And you know, like who wouldn't give, like what you wouldn't give for great staff and COs when you were a lieutenant or great captains and a great staff team as a colonel. Um, when you don't, in the Marines, people have orders. In the private market, they can leave. Yeah, yeah. It's a voluntary, right, right. you know, you're voluntarily tied to these organizations you work you work with. And if you treat people poorly, they'll leave. Right. And turnover costs you more than any amount of sort of bad decision making or, you know, not an optimal uh, budgetary decision. Like people, people's how things get done. And and so you really do have to treat people well. well especially in the world of the startup, right? Especially in the world of startup, yeah. They're not falling out of the sky no yeah and in startups you don't pay people as well as google does you know Mm -hmm. so you really need to provide some intangible uh benefits yeah see that's that's such an amazing story so you're at bible project and you're getting again almost in much the same way of abtbs you're starting to see a side of business that you weren't necessarily Mm. um even aware of, right? Mm-hmm. And that is international trading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about the challenges and then where you saw doing your sort of IPB of the environment? Like, what, what was it about that that was sort of illuminating to you? Well, yeah, you know, so I know it's not a normal career path. Went from want to be a lawyer to the Marines to marijuana to ministry. <laughs> And now to international finance. Um, <laughs> so while I was at Bible Project, we were doing more and more, I don't want to say like business. It wasn't like we were, but we were interacting in an international environment more often. So yeah. that might mean that we, our videos are found internationally and some people decide to donate from say, you know, the UK or Canada. Um, but we also, we also were translating the videos into a number of languages. And what we found was the best way to do that was to actually hire animation teams in those countries. And those animation teams might have been people that on their day job worked at a news studio or made a children's cartoon or whatever it may be. But we would hire them in country so they could both easily understand the language they're translating into and animating for that language. Of course, those teams were paid in their local currency. So if I'm a US-based company, and uh, in this case, Bible Project, and I'm paying a local animation team in Brazil. Well, I'm paying them X amount of Brazilian real every month. Mm-hmm. Well, the Brazilian real would go up or down against the dollar, which means our contract would either be cheaper one month or more expensive another. And you'd like to say, like, well, don't they work out in your benefit like half the time? You're like, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And most of all, it disrupts budget. So we're like, well, we'll spend X amount. And you're like, well, actually, this year we're going to spend two and a half million, not two, because the U.S. dollar is falling relative to all these other currencies at that time, and uh, and so 
I had done day trading before. I used to day trade stocks and commodities like oil. I was particularly active in oil and some currencies. And so I knew how I knew how markets worked. I'm like, well, this is these markets exist because businesses needed to hedge. They wanted to hedge their downside risk. Mm -hmm. And um, and so they use these complex products like called derivatives, like options and swaps and futures. And they first started in agricultural markets, farmers trying to hedge the risk of their corn crop, yeah, right. right? But also like, you know, uh, Kellogg's wanted to hedge the cost of making cornflakes. So they would work with a farmer to buy corn early and they, they're like, let's find a mutually beneficial price. They were basically both hedging. We're hedging the downside risk of either corn being too expensive for Kellogg's or corn being too cheap for the farmer to be able to turn a profit. And so this now extends into currencies. And, and, and in fact, you can do it in stocks. And I was like, I know this exists. So I went to a couple of friends in the finance industry. And I said, hey, look, here's the problem we're experiencing. Um, who should I talk to? And they gave us a recommendation um, of this organization that does consulting for hedging. And I go and talk to them. And they were super nice. Uh, but they were like, dude, you are hundreds of times too small for us to work with. And I was like, well, what's your minimum? They're like a billion, maybe. If you're a billion, if you're doing a billion, we might work with you. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, what is that word you use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, and and uh, and I was like, well, what do we do? And they're like, you you can't do anything. This is the cost of doing business. And I just thought I was like, that doesn't add up to me. You know, we were doing maybe two million in international transactions, which is you know at the end of the year, a couple hundred thousand might be moving around, which to us is a three salary positions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're moving to 10 million shortly. I That's probably what they're doing now. And uh, I was like, this is gonna become a meaningful sum. I, I was teaching robotics uh, with uh, my friend, Bob, who now is our chief revenue officer. Um, and he was a VP at Salesforce. And I was like, Bob, I want to go talk to your accounting team. And uh, so he got us an introduction. We, I, sit, I fly up to San Francisco. I sit down with the international controller at Salesforce. Salesforce, big company, right? They're They're doing, you know, several billion dollars internationally and i basically laid out the problem he goes oh yeah yeah we have that problem too and uh, i was like well what do you mean what how do you hedge and he's like i don't even want to talk about it bank of america bank of america charges out the wazoo to do this when the bleeding gets bad enough and uh and so i talked to him about our a potential solution and uh and he was very bullish on the idea. And, I, and that's where I knew I had something. I was like, well, if the small company is having this problem and the big company is having this problem, maybe this is just a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, you know, three, 2018, we um, started developing in 2019. We, uh, a small team and I, started to build um, a platform that would manage foreign currency risk, aka hedge risk, yeah. um, for... Um, really any size business, but we knew we had to do it autonomously. And so we turned to AI. That's so cool. And so you aren't just catering now to the 0.1%. Like you're saying, if you're doing trading at any sort of significant level, we'll help you out. Yeah, I think we, what we're aiming to build is a platform that manages currency risk at scale, but is flexible enough so that it'll work for Salesforce. But it'll also work for the family that immigrated from India that is sending remittances back to their family every month, even as low as $1,000, to where this could beneficially do the same thing that Apple's treasury does, but for them. Apple's treasury is like 400 people. Salesforce's is five. Most companies, they don't even have one. 
let alone the family who is just trying to get money back to, sure. you know, right, so, right. And, and, but see, the thing is fundamentally, this problem has been solved. It just hasn't been solved for 99% of businesses. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's so awesome. So you're making it accessible. That's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're, we're <laughs> not to overly, I feel like you remember in the, in the 2000, the, the 2010s, everyone's like disruption. We're going to disrupt. That was like the word. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. now the word is democratized. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But we're, we're, yeah. we are kind of democratizing access, you know, in a yeah. way, uh, not to use an overly, um, used euphemism, but, uh, yeah. Anyhow. I mean, I mean, in, in a, in a, I don't feel like this is an overreach, but I mean, much in the same way, like the Bible project is making something as difficult and complex as the Bible accessible to everybody. You are making finance and international trading or at least currency exchange yeah. accessible to people that it's very complex and overwhelming. And I mean, so that's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you look at then this transformation, this this evolution, it's so great. I mean, and so what started as working for this independent body within the Marine Corps, yeah. amphibious, amphibious testing branch, has now led you to this thing where you're doing this really complicated work, but you're still in a leadership position where the lowest person eats first. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Dude, that's freaking great, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. And it's a really cool opportunity for me, per, like personally, professionally, um, to finally be able to, and, and we are trying to do this, but like for the first time, I've now been able to integrate the best parts of the Marine Corps with sort of the best lessons I've learned in a ministry context and in sort of private industry, I can now integrate those into what I think is a better leadership paradigm than I personally experienced in either of those realms. You know, like how do we bring the best of both worlds? And of course, some of this is contextual. You can't lead young Marines the same way you lead young Gen Zers in a private, sure. you know, like, like space. But um, for what we're doing, we're trying to we're trying to build a bridge between both. And, you know, so we've got really clear lines of communication and command. We've got um, really high standards. Um, at the same time, we've got a lot of patience and invest a lot into personal development and have a big honor of work-life balance. And, and so I'm really just as excited about the product we're building and what it can do as I am for the culture we're building and what it can do for individuals and their families. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Well, dude, I appreciate your generosity with your time, and this has been great. I, I do want to just sort of juxtapose your journey with sort of how Tap and Tamp would sort of mm, mm. over or would project sure. the transitioning marine, sure. uh, yeah. marine sailor. It's been a while since I took the Tap and Tamp class. Agreed, yeah, so tell me, well, so, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, mean, let's like, juxtapose it up. I guess just so. And then, you know, we sat down with Paul Grief, who you know. Yeah, I know Paul. I worked for Paul. Yeah, man. For, for nine months in Paul's HDS amazing. company. And so he also has a very unorthodox transition. But then you know, we look at you. I mean, one of the things, and, and having gone through TAP, actually, I went through TAP and TAP twice. Oh, okay. Uh, once is when I was, uh, I think it was Battalion XO, I did it just to see what my guys were going to be, or guys and gals, were going to be going through as they were transitioning out. And then Got I it. did it for myself. Sure. I would say that, that it's very templated, mm. right? Because you got thousands of people coming through this thing yeah. almost yeah. weekly. Sure. Uh, especially when you look at DODY. Yeah. And so we're just trying to set up as many people as we can for success as often as we can. Yeah. Not to say that those are lessons learned or 
bad or it's not something you should take. But what are your thoughts? Are they spot on when you go through tap and tamp or is there something more nuanced maybe, especially as you look at the nuances of your transitions and your many transitions mm. that are there sort of overarching themes that like, Hey, these are the things to do expect. And this is sort of the way forward. Or is it really like, to use your term, like you need to hedge. I don't know. I, I, I don't, this isn't a fully formed question. This guy. No, I think, I, I think, brain. no, I think I understand. I mean, I, I would say the Marine Corps and the armed forces in general are doing what they are, you know, legislatively obligated to do. And legislation is kind of about the, you know, the most utilitarian approach in many cases. Yeah. So look, if, if tap and tamp is, you know, successful for 70% of people. Well, maybe that's the best we can get with the resources we've been provided at the scale at which they have to do it. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, as you're entering tap and tamp, is this going to work for me? Does this make sense? I mean, well, good and great, you know, utilize that. Um, I think what I would encourage people to do, and I'll, and I'll get to like my what are the things that I experienced that maybe are consistent across all those transitions? I'll get to that. Um, but for those that are going through tap and tamp um, or are looking to in the next few years, find a mentor, find a mentor. Well, that's nice. You know, like find a mentor find, and people will be more than willing to be generous with their time. Go on LinkedIn, get your LinkedIn, get your resume and your LinkedIn account kind of squared away and look for former veterans that are working at Amazon. Look for former veterans that, are working at Google or have done something else and reach out to them, get their advice. You know, hey, I'm interested in going to software. Find a Marine in, in, in yeah, software, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, so get a mentor. That's, uh, that's, that's number one. That's where, you know, you're not going to get personalized. You're not going to get a personalized, nuanced perspective on what you could do and where you could fit from tap and tap. It's just not, that's not their mandate. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I will say, well, at least the last time I went through, and granted this was, you know, almost four years or not, four years now, but networking, was a huge thing that they totally oh, great the drama. There you go. Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean because that's where that's how relationships is yeah. how you get jobs, right? It's not it's not about what you know, but who you know, yeah. which is partially true. And and so I think that's where you know, um, but but don't approach it as I need to find I need a network so I can get a job. Mm. I need to find someone who can give me authentic advice. Um, your relationship with that person actually might give them back as much as you do, believe it or not. Yeah. You know, Marines love helping Marines. Yeah. It's what we do, you right, know? Right, right. And so you might be blessing that mentor with the opportunity to speak into the life of a, of a young Marine, which will give them great joy. Um, and so start with like, start with that perspective. If it leads to a job, great, but it might just lead you to good advice that leads to a job. Um, as far as the, the things that I experienced consistent across all those transitions, um, I think there's, I, I have two, I would, I have one encouragement and um, one exhortation. And my encouragement would be that you likely know more than what you think you know. Yeah. You're, you, you, you the, what you've learned, your leadership, your experience, um, 
you know, all the schools, you the school, I mean, just like, and how to work with people of very diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, you know, more than you think, you know, and you have more leadership experience than probably almost any one of your peers. Yeah. Cause you've lived, literally lived with these people. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like how many, yeah. How many people do you go to work with that you live with for six months on the boat? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's my encouragement is, is just trust and have confidence that you, that you, you, you have an edge in many cases. My exhortation is don't act like it and don't don't take that for granted because you also don't know shit you know you are an amtracker or a grunt or you know comms or supply battalion you're applying for a job in the user experience department at google you don't know anything about that you know and you don't know culture outside of your one microcosm yeah right sure so 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 enter it with like hey i've got confidence what i do know but I also am humble in what I don't know. So listen first, listen twice before you speak and be willing um, to maybe go, oh, maybe the way I've done things or how I was taught may actually not be the best way. The Marine Corps is great, but as for as many things as it teaches that are awesome, it probably also teaches some bad habits. And yeah. so be willing to lay those down um, when, when something new presents itself as, as maybe being uh, more beneficial. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I mean, that, that culture aspect, I mean, it's so, so hard because it's full immersion. <laughs> yeah, it really, <laughs> so, it really is. It's so to say that like, well, like it's a very niche culture. It is. It's hard to come to grips with. Yeah. Especially, yeah, like I said, because it is so full. But yeah, I, yeah, I, d- I really do feel like tap and tamp are so critical to a successful transition, but and especially when looking at your case, like there's no accounting for passion. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it should not be discounted that, uh, you know, I think with, what is the old axiom? Like if you love, or if, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And so I think that like, don't, allow the majority report to mm-hmm. keep you out of for sure thing that you yeah I'm, I'm a little scared to try this like dude give it a shot give it a man. shot yeah a shot. absolutely yeah i actually like, think- reach out like sort of deduce what it's somebody's email might be and shoot them an email <laughs> yeah. with the quality yeah 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 see what happens because you might end up yeah for yeah a yeah start a company go raise a couple million bucks you might surprise yourself you know yeah. yeah we uh i think marines are pretty industrious like i don't know what the stat is anymore but i remember years ago uh the marines received about four to five percent of the department of defense's budget and we were responsible for over 33% of combat operations. Yeah. Marines, by nature, are industrious. We figure out how to do, do more with less. And that's entrepreneurship. Yeah. You know, it's, right. figuring out a, it's figuring out a way when there isn't one. Yeah. I yeah. mean, practically every real-world op is a startup. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh, man. Yeah. That's right. That's um, good. It's just you get to shoot your competitors. Yeah. 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 Well, Yeah. Some people do, but I wouldn't recommend it. No, it's not. It's not the best way to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You have a uh, limited clientele. Well, dude, Aaron, man, this has been so great. Like I said, I've been geeking out all day. This has been so. This is fun. Thanks for having me. It was great. um, All right. So, where can we find you? Um, hey, uh, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. I think if you search for Aaron Sullivan, A E R O N. Uh, you'll probably find me. You can also go to AaronSullivan.com and you get a link to my LinkedIn there. Uh, I don't, it's not infrequent. I get a message from a fellow Marine 
uh, either looking for some business advice or just trying to connect. So yeah, feel free to connect awesome. with me. And then Pangea is your current um, is your current endeavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got BibleProject.com. BibleProject.com, great resource for those that are um, either Christian and, and read the scriptures uh, because it's part of your lifestyle, or for those that are interested in learning more. I think BibleProject.com is a great resource. I would argue one of the best resources out there on the Bible for those interested. Um, yeah, check that out. Um, Trative is no more. They recapitalize as a another uh, another corporation. So you know. I don't know if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, so Pangea, where can we find him? Uh, yeah, so Pangea is, uh, we're in a private uh, sort of testing stage. Yeah. We launch in September with a small clientele. Um, we'll be kind of fully commercial next year. Um, but if you're interested in learning more, you can go to Pangea.io. .io. All right, yeah. awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having thank me. for your hospitality, your generosity with your time. Dude, this has been awesome. Awesome, thanks. Have a good one, guys. Yeah. is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. We have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Motherneck magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scottlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.